Good morning. We have two passages that we're looking at this morning. I know where both of them are today, which is an improvement. I was like preoccupied last all week. I have to know the verses this week. I have to know the verses this week. And I think I do. We'll be in uh, Philippians chapter 2. And uh, looking at just a handful of verses, and then we're going to look at a big chunk of John chapter 4. So Philippians 2, and then the Gospel of John chapter 4. And as you are finding your way to that location or those locations, let me invite you to uh, join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, your people here are gathered uh, not to hear my words or my ideas, but to hear from you. And so... Lord, we invite you to speak through your living word, through your spirit, uh, through that still small voice, uh, by uh, coming uh, close and inhabiting the praises of your people and by responding to the prayers that we lift up in all sorts of ways. You are here and you are active and you're speaking. Help us to hear you. Lord, I pray that you would keep the preacher hidden behind the shadow of the cross today that Christ would be lifted high, and that we would see you in your glory for your sake. And in your name we pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, our first passage, uh, comes uh, from verse 3. Let's just read a handful of these verses. These are hard verses, by the way. And we'll have to deal with that in just a few minutes. These are hard verses. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't live uh, to make a good impression on others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Uh, don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And we'll ask God to bless uh, our reading of those verses to our understanding as we turn to John chapter 4 and read just a slightly longer passage about the story. It's a familiar story. It's the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, You know the story uh, if... uh, uh, you have any uh, history of uh, Sunday school classes or, or Bible uh, training. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are traveling through Samaria. Uh, they go to a place in Samaria where uh, they uh, go to draw water from a well called Jacob's Well. And there at the well, they encounter a Samaritan woman. Uh, we know that there is a divide between the Jews, a rift between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, uh, and between the men and the women. So uh, Jesus is crossing two significant, profound cultural barriers to have this conversation, and he enters into this conversation, and we want to pick up with the conversation that Jesus has with this woman. Uh, Again, we're paying attention to the conversation, uh, to the relationship that Jesus is is engaging here. The woman was surprised uh, in verse 9 of chapter 4, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Then she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would be asking me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. 
uh, where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? And how can you offer better water uh, than his sons and his cattle enjoy? Uh, Jesus replied, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water that I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul out water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. "Mm, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Uh, Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that uh, you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount uh, Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? And Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, and it's already here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman says, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am uh, the Messiah, or I am the Christ. And we'll ask God to bless to our understanding this reading also from the Gospel of John. So if you have been here with us for the past uh, few weeks, you know that we are engaged in a series uh, about building generous relationships. And uh, we, we um, are, are thinking about that in a very specific way, thinking about generous relationships as relationships uh, that serve uh, those in our lives, that bring uh, grace and joy and goodness to those around us. Uh, generous relationships are a gift to people. And the idea in this series is not just to learn a list of techniques for how to do relationships better. Uh, The idea in this series is that as disciples of Jesus, we're not only uh, students of his thinking. Um, We're not just students of his thinking, but we are apprentices to his living. In other words, uh, if we're a student of a historical figure, uh, we might understand something about uh, Aristotle or Socrates, or we might study uh, Abraham Lincoln's life. Uh, We might learn about politics from uh, uh, reading about how did Abraham Lincoln navigate the political challenges and and divides of his day. Uh, We might be a student of a historical figure and learn about the thinking of that individual. But we wouldn't necessarily say uh, that I want to do my life the way that that person did their life. Uh, The invitation from Jesus is not just to come and say, uh, learn my words and learn what I've said to you. But the invitation from Jesus is, look at the way that I live my life. Look at who I am. Look at what I do. And then model me. Follow me means do the things that you see me doing. We've all been there, Matt. We all know. (laughs) Praise God. It's great. So we're thinking about what does it mean to model relationships the way that Jesus did relationships. Uh, not just to, to, to think about relationships the way Jesus thought about them, 
but to do them the way Jesus did them. That's the idea of the series. And so far, we've, we've thought about two aspects of that. One aspect we've thought about is this idea of noticing the way that uh, the Gospels over and over again tell us that Jesus noticed, Jesus saw, Jesus observed, Jesus looked. And Jesus looks in a way that is penetrating and intensive, and, it's, uh, and it stirs compassion uh, in him. And uh, we, we thought about how is it that we can uh, become people who see better. Right? Jesus prays over and over again that uh, people will have not only have eyes, but they'll, that they'll be able to see. That we'll actually be able to see uh, what's happening around us. That we'll be able to see the evidence of God's presence in our lives. That we'll be able to see uh, what's happening in the lives of others. Uh, that not only do we have eyes, but that we can see. And then, we've, then we also talked about listening. Uh, what, is it, what does it mean to sit and to listen, not just to some of somebody's story, but to listen to all of their story? Uh, to not interrupt their story with our rebuttals and our responses and our fixes, but to listen well uh, and, to, and, to, and to, to listen from a place of somebody who has been deeply heard uh, by God. So uh, thinking about uh, seeing and thinking about listening, we can, we, can, we can readily engage those aspects of Jesus' relationships. Um, in, in many cases, because we've experienced Jesus that way, that we have been the ones who have been seen. We know what it means for Jesus to see us. Uh, we know what it means for Jesus to listen to us. We've been seen and we've been heard. And, and we can experience Jesus that way. And we can see that in the life of Jesus. This week, though, uh, we are going to look at uh, the, 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 uh, the practice of curiosity, uh, the value of curiosity in the relationships of Jesus. And curiosity might be a little harder for us to see. We might not think about Jesus and curiosity uh, in the same sentence. Uh, I've been surveying people sort of casually through the week, including a few times this morning, and asking people, uh, what do you think of Jesus as a curious person? You know, does Jesus have curiosity uh, as you think about Jesus? And, and many, many, many people would say, I don't think of Jesus as a curious person. I don't see curiosity in Jesus. Uh, and so this morning, uh, we want to think about uh, the way that Jesus brings uh, genuine curiosity uh, to his relationships and how that curiosity actually leads us to have generous, giving relationships. Uh, one reason it might be difficult for us to see curiosity with Jesus is that, um, that we haven't been taught to approach Jesus with our own curiosity. Uh, we haven't been taught to come to Jesus with our own questions, coming to Jesus asking hard questions, coming to Jesus wanting to learn uh, about ourselves and about our world and about others, things that we don't already know, wanting to understand, being open to understanding something in a new way. We don't come to Jesus many times with a curiosity that's genuine and open, uh, ready to receive uh, something that we don't already have. And one writer has said that this lack of curiosity in our relationship towards Jesus and our discipleship is actually a loss, that we actually lose something when we don't bring curiosity to our own uh, relationship with Jesus when it comes to our own discipleship. In uh, the book, The Spiritual Practice of Asking Questions, uh, Casey Tigret says this. He sees Jesus as a master of questions and not as a purveyor of easy answers. Uh, the Christian faith, says Tigrit, is a call to curiosity. 
And this is how he says it. The curious tension of Jesus is that he shows us a God who wants to be known, not memorized. He shows us a God who wants to be known and not memorized. It's not about sitting in a classroom learning the catechism, but rather walking the back roads with Jesus, asking questions. Uh, Think about how much time Jesus spends in the Gospels being asked questions and asking questions of his own. And he has this really irritating habit. When somebody asks him a question, his answer is another question. Don't you hate it when that happens? He responds with stories and questions that don't provide neat, tidy, easy answers, but provoke more and more questions for us to ask. Even in the passage in the, in the Gospel of John, uh, this woman comes asking Jesus almost uh, uh, toddler-like, rapid-fire questions. How, how, where's my rope? Where's your rope? How are you going to get the water out? Uh, what kind of water is that? When am I going to get thirsty again? How do I not get thirsty again? Uh, who are you? Why are you talking to me? Just over and over again, she comes to Jesus asking these questions with her curiosity. Despite the fact that uh, the New Testament is just filled with this process of Jesus engaging conversation, questions, wondering, sometimes we're afraid to show up with genuine questions. Uh, Maybe we're afraid that if we show up with real questions, somebody will think that our questions are foolish. Or maybe if we show up with real questions, people will think uh, uh, that, uh, that, that we're confused or that we don't know the things that we should know or we don't know as much as they do. Uh, maybe we're afraid that if we ask questions, people will see our doubts. People will see our skepticism. People will, say, uh, will see our unbelief. And Jesus never ever says, uh, uh, stop asking questions if they're doubtful questions. Stop asking questions if they're confusing questions. Stop asking questions if they reveal a gap in your knowledge. Jesus assumes that we have doubts and that we have confusion and that we have gaps in our knowledge. And he says, those are the questions to bring to me. Bring me your questions. Come asking questions. Come with your curiosity. Jesus is never afraid of our curiosity. Ask questions. The uh, worship and wonder that our children engage in uh, is filled with this practice of asking questions. Asking, I wonder what. I wonder what that was like. I wonder how Jesus felt when. I wonder how that disciple reacted when. I wonder what would happen if our children know how to be curious and somewhere along the line, we forget. Bring curiosity to Jesus. He welcomes it. And I'm going to suggest this morning that he responds with his own curiosity. That uh, not only uh, is curiosity present in our relationship towards Jesus, but that in the scriptures, we actually see Jesus himself exercising curiosity. Uh, Sometimes we miss the curiosity of Jesus because we have a doctrinal problem. Now, I'm sorry if you um, showed up today hoping for something practical and I've switched to doctrine on you. Here we go. I'm going to do doctrine for just a second. We miss the curiosity of Jesus, because we have a doctrinal problem. And the doctrinal problem that we have is that we allow uh, what we call the divinity of Christ 
to wash out the humanity of Jesus. Uh, we say that we believe in a, in a Jesus who is fully God and fully human, but functionally, we operate and we live and we approach him as if he's really mostly fully God, but his humanity is there as an afterthought. And, 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 and we don't want to take anything away from the full divinity of Jesus. We don't want to take anything away from the full godness of the second person of the Trinity. We don't want to diminish that at all. And there's a great strength and there's a great comfort for knowing uh, that the Jesus that we talk to and the Jesus that is our friend is also the living God. And that's a powerful reality in our life. But then there's the rest of the picture, this mysterious dance that we see in the scriptures and the gospels and the in the letters of the New Testament, as, as those early followers of Jesus, his friends, are trying to sort out their experience with this very human Jesus, on the one hand, and this divine God, on the other hand. Now, this isn't a sermon on Christology, um, this doctrine of Christ. It's not a sermon on Christology. If it was a sermon on Christology, we would be in the right chapter in Philippians by the way. Uh, Philippians 2 is a great chapter to go to if we were going to preach a sermon on Christology. Uh, if we were going to do that, uh, we might use a theological word like uh, kenosis. Uh, some of you uh, have thought about uh, the doctrine of kenosis, uh, which just simply comes from this passage in Philippians 2. And if we were talking about Christology and doctrinal things today, uh, we would say that kenosis is the emptying of Jesus. When Jesus assumed human form, he emptied himself, he kenosised himself. And uh, we could talk about all of the books that theologians have written over the years if we were doing a sermon like that today. Uh, we, could do a, we could talk about uh, the debates. What is it exactly that the divine Christ emptied himself of? Uh, from when he became human? What was the emptying? Did he empty himself of the prerogatives of Godness? Did he empty himself of the power of God? Did he empty himself of the knowledge of God? What exactly was going on that he was emptying himself? And the, and the answer is that nobody knows, but there's some emptying that happens. But we're not doing that sermon today. We're not talking about Christology or kenosis or emptying. Uh, but what we're saying is that in the, in the world of discipleship, when we're following Jesus, sometimes overemphasizing the divinity, the godness, is actually a detriment to our discipleship. don't want to get in trouble for saying that wrong. Sometimes when we overemphasize the godness of Jesus, uh, we, we, we do it at the cost of being able to follow the human Jesus. If, if, if the call of the New Testament is follow Jesus, live the life that you see Jesus living, do the things that you see Jesus doing. And by the way, he's God and he's perfect and he's all powerful and he's going to be doing God-like things and powerful things and, and, and things like that. And, and you'll never be able to do that, but you have to try really hard to do that. Uh, I can't think of anything that would be more discouraging than being able uh, than being given a target that I can't possibly hit. But that isn't the invitation of the scriptures. The invitation of the scriptures is that Jesus is also fully human. That Jesus is a human being, the way that you are a human being. In this, in the Gospels, in the letters, go to great lengths to demonstrate 
this, that Jesus' humanity is fully present, that he, feel, that he faces discouragement and hunger and temptation and anger, that Jesus' humanity is fully engaged, and that at some level he's emptied something of the godness. But we're not doing that sermon again, so don't go there. Something's gone. Something's emptied. Something's set aside, and we have a human Jesus, and we're invited to say, I can follow this, this, this picture of what it means to be human. I can do that. And part of Jesus' humanity is the way that he does relationships. He overcomes cultural barriers. He overcomes language barriers. He overcomes prejudices. He has real work to do to make those things happen. And we can look at the life of Jesus and his relationships and see the things that he brings to his relationships and say, I really want, I can do that. That isn't, that isn't the God part showing up. That's the human being part showing up. And as a human being, I can approach that. And it's a cop-out to say, well, Jesus is perfect. Jesus is God, and so God can do those things, and I can never do those things. See, that takes away any sense of discipleship. We're invited to follow Jesus into our relationships. And, and we're invited to follow Jesus into his real curiosity. This human Jesus, when he has human relationships, is filled with curiosity. That's what we find here in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, by the way, uh, is not a um, peripheral, insignificant, marginal text. Philippians 2 is one of the most important texts in the history of the church. Uh, It contains language uh, about Jesus that many biblical scholars think is actually an early hymn. That this poetry about the life of Jesus was actually a hymn used in the earliest church, the earliest congregations that would gather around and worship were singing about Jesus this way. This is formative uh, for the early church. This is uh, the central Jesus that people were invited to gather around as they worshipped in that early church. And In this text in Philippians 4, we read these hard words. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only of your own interests, but also be thinking about the interests of others. Be interested in other people. Do you hear the curiosity there? Do you hear the edge of wondering what's happening in somebody's life? What are they about? Where are they coming from? What do they need? That interest, that leaning in to others that Paul here writes about. Humility and curiosity always go together. If I show up in somebody's life with this humility, uh, if I show up in somebody's life not thinking of myself as being too great, and by the way, uh, uh, how does that happen? How do uh, you, you know I can't just decide, okay, from now on, I'm going to be more humble. 
right? How long does that work? Until I notice that I'm more humble, and then I feel really proud that I'm humble, right? And now, oh, no, no, lost it, right? It's slippery. I can't just decide to be more humble. How do you decide to do that? How do you decide to be that way? And the answer is, uh, this isn't a technique that you decide to do. This is a heart change that happens within us. Uh, What's happening here is uh, uh, the humility and the curiosity really is an indication of whether or not I understand the gospel. Uh, uh, It's really an understanding of how I I land on what the gospel is. Uh, If... If, if I don't have humility and curiosity, uh, there's a misunderstanding of the gospel that's happened. There's, there, there's something missing in my experience of, of the gospel of grace. I don't understand grace. I haven't experienced grace. Why? If I haven't experienced grace, then I show up not with humility, but either with pride, thinking I deserve this. I deserve God's love. I deserve the things that I have. I deserve my position in life. I I deserve the blessings that I enjoy. I show up with pride, with arrogance, uh, from a lofty position, looking down on others. Uh, If I don't understand grace, I I show up with pride because I've deserved everything. I've earned it. Or or I show up with self-pity and self-loathing and say I'm worthless. I'll never be worthy of anything. I'll I'll never deserve uh, intimacy. I'll never deserve to have full, rich relationships. I have nothing to give to another person. I'll either have pride or I'll have pity. And both of those come against. Both of those come against humility. True humility. True curiosity. The the true capacity to lean in to another person's life uh, with interest, with learning, And then in verse 5, Paul says, so you do that. And then he says, and so your attitude should be the same as the attitude of Christ. Your attitude should be the same as the attitude of Jesus. Well, what attitude is that? The attitude of humility and curiosity that he just got done naming. This old central hymn that the early church would have sung over and over again and formed their identity and formed their faith explicitly identifies humility and curiosity, being interested in others as the heart of the attitude of Jesus. If I don't understand grace, if I've never received that Jesus who's interested in me, who leans into me, if I never understand that grace, if I never have received that grace, Friends, receive that today. Receive this Jesus who sees you and hears you. He knows you. He's interested in you. And he loves you profoundly. Jesus shows up with a genuine interest in others. It's a desire to learn from them. See, if we think that Jesus is God and he's perfect, then there would be no reason for Jesus to do any learning. See, Christology matters in how we do discipleship. But if we think of Jesus as a real human being who really wants to grow and really wants to learn and really wants to develop relationships, we can see Jesus showing up and actually wanting to learn about people and understanding them 
and showing an interest in them. For example, he asks blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Mark chapter 10. A little bit later on in that same uh, story, uh, he comes and he uh, says to James and John, what is it that you want me to do for you? Now, if you have a particular view of Jesus, you could think that Jesus is just being clever or cute or just toying with them, making them feel stupid, making them state the obvious. Well, I can't see. That would be a good starting point, Jesus. But if you think about Jesus as a human being who's interested in Bartimaeus and interested in his friends, then instead you hear Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? As an, as an entry point, an entree into a deeper relationship with Bartimaeus and with his disciples. Jesus is wondering, he's curious to know whether or not their level of insight into their condition, into their need, into their longings, is deeper than the surface issue. He's interested. He's curious. That's part of being generously present and fully human in our relationships. Can you see beneath the surface? Can you see beyond the thing that's presenting in that relationship? It isn't just anger, but what's behind the anger? What's, what's frightening you? What's worrying you? What's getting you going? It isn't just fear. It isn't just criticism. It isn't just perfectionism. It isn't just lying. What's going on? Help me to see. What do you need? What do you want? Leaning in to a generous relationship. The second text today, and we'll do this uh, more quickly, uh, gives us a little roadmap for curiosity. Uh, I want to acknowledge that it's true that in this uh, gospel text, uh, we see a prophetic gift operating in the life of Jesus uh, that seems to give him access to answers. Uh, it's also true that we see Jesus specifically welcoming this woman's curiosity and, 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 and inviting her questions. Uh, but what I want to notice is sort of the roadmap of the conversation uh, that gets charted here as this woman asks questions and Jesus responds. Uh, the sorts of topics that he addresses with this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. Uh, can give us some ideas on how we can cultivate our own curiosity with others, uh, to pierce beneath the surface, to ask another question, to, to reach a deeper understanding. Uh, some of you do this really well. Uh, some of you uh, have done coaches training. Some of you have been leading Bible study groups. Some of you have been Oasis group leaders. And you've gotten really, really good uh, at asking good questions. Uh, and some of us, uh, it's helpful to have a little bit of a plan, a little bit of a roadmap. And so Jesus models sort of this order in this conversation with the woman at the well. You can jot these down quickly if you'd like to. Uh, the first thing is there's a comment about her past struggles. Uh, it talks about her past, her history uh, is there. Uh, he moves on into her present situation uh, where the man that she lives with is not her husband. And there, So there's a transition. Uh, there's something new that's happening. Uh, third, he expands her vision for what worship could be. Uh, it's a conversation about her theology. It's a conversation about her principles. It's a conversation about her beliefs. 
And then finally, um, when she talks about this future Messiah, Jesus tells her that this future has come. Uh, there's, there's a forward-leaning question. There's a forward-leaning nature to the conversation. What are your hopes? What are your goals? And so if you're thinking about places to be curious as you enter into relationships with people, uh, one place to do that would be to ask questions about somebody's history. Uh, where are you from? What are your experiences? Uh, a, few, um, um, a few weeks ago, now, slightly more than a few weeks, I suppose, uh, we were with Jim Harrington. And uh, Jim is uh, um, one of my coaches, a mentor, a uh, friend, and he um, is just a master at asking questions. And he had a new question that he was asking. Um, and uh, uh, he asked Tammy, and then he asked me, what, are you like in, what were you like in high school? That's a question about history. Where have you been? What was high school like for you? And it's amazing the kind of conversation uh, that you can have with somebody that you already know really well. Uh, but you can have a whole other kind of conversation. What were your experiences like? And then the second question is uh, about transitions. Where are you now? What's happening in your life today? Uh, what's going on? What's challenging you? What's stopping you? What's energizing you? Tell me about what's happening in your life today. Uh, it's a great, curious question. Uh, many of you know Dwayne Lehman. Dwayne Lehman and I got together for uh, years uh, having breakfast uh, uh, once a month, every uh, f three, four, five, six weeks. And uh, he would always begin with that question. So what's happening today? Uh, what, what are you thinking about? What are you working on? What's, what's going on in your life right now? I know you've had a lot of that same experience with Dwayne. He's a master at asking, he's genuinely interested. He wants to know what's happening in your life. And then third, these principles. How did you get here? Where are you from? Where are you now? How did you get here? What's, what's been guiding you? What are your beliefs? What are your, 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 what's your culture? Uh, what, is your, what are your principles? What are your, what's your theology? Tell me uh, how you got here. And then number four, what are your goals? Where are you going? Right? Where have you been? Where are you now? How did you get here? Where are you going? What are your dreams? What are your longings? What are you passionate about seeing come to be? Jesus models a conversation that can help us to be more curious. In other words, when we can get curious about somebody else's story and also curious about what God has done, is doing, and will do, uh, we can engage in relationships that invite connections that are deeper and more life-giving than just the superficial connections that we might be tempted to settle for. Practice this. Practice this. A little bit later on in Philippians, uh, Paul writes, uh, so you've been given this grace. You've received uh, the attention and the interest of your God. You've received this. Now put this into practice. Practice your salvation. Practice this new life that you've been giving. Put it into practice. Well, where? Uh, my encouragement to you is just to, is just a survey the relationships that you have in your life. Think about places where you could become more curious where you could set aside foregone conclusions, where you could set aside things that you think you already know. Maybe there are friendships that come to mind. Maybe as a mentor, uh, there's a mentoring relationship, and there are things that you could get more curious about. Uh, maybe there's a new relationship at work where you could bring curiosity and genuine interest in another. Uh, maybe you have a practice of gathering people around your table for a meal. Uh, maybe after a run or on a bike ride, 
you could get curious about the people that you're with. Uh, perhaps there's somebody that you're uh, inviting to consider the gospel. Somebody that you'd like to share your faith with. And before you share your faith with somebody, uh, you can be curious about their story. You can ask some more questions uh, before you give your answers. Maybe there's a place to deepen relationships in your Oasis groups by asking some questions, and you're going to get some practice at that this week. Uh, Brene Brown uh, writes about curiosity a lot. And this is one thing that she says, uh, getting curious is one of her key phrases. And she says that curiosity can give us all of these things. Let me just give you this quick list. Uh, You can go back and listen to the uh, recording to get it. If you can't write it down fast enough. Curiosity is the root that feeds learning and discovery, hopefulness and possibility, imagination and ingenuity, passion and empowerment, creativity and innovation, understanding and connection. No wonder, no wonder it's a central part of a generous relationship. What a great gift to give to somebody that you care for, to somebody that you love. No wonder curiosity is a feature of Jesus' attitude and Jesus' practice in relationships. And no wonder it's a gateway to experiencing the presence of Jesus in our own life as well. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of curiosity. Thank you for the gift of learning. Help us to be uh, people who have open minds and open hearts. Help us to be people who receive your grace and understand that gift to such a degree that we can lay aside our pride and our arrogance and our self-pity and engage with uh, a sense of strength and learning. Lord, thank you for uh, the model that we see in your own life. Help us to follow you uh, as a, a human being who knew how to do relationships well. Lord, help us to call to mind uh, relationships in our own life where we could be more curious, where we could be more interested in what's happening in somebody's life, where we could express that interest by asking Uh, thoughtful and deep questions. Help us to ask more and better questions. Lord, we receive all of these gifts from you and ask that you would use uh, your words today to strengthen our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.